Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review our show. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy. Uh, just a bit of housekeeping to start before we give you the Blake Murphy drop. Uh, we are probably for last time actually, but we are back live on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and also on Sportsnet Plus from 2 to 4 p.m. starting next Monday, October 16th. Catch me, Blake, and Alex Every day on your Blake TV. Blake Murphy. What's going on, Blake? Do you want to hear that every single day now? Nope. I oh. never want to hear it again. Okay. I, uh, I I would have time still for the Blake Murphy Tuesday or the Blake Murphy Thursday or whatever. But yeah, I uh, I don't need to hear. Sorry, Derek. Wow. You know, Derek worked very hard on that. I know he did. He yeah. looped it for like two and a half minutes. He sent yeah. me a voice note that was just never ending. I mean, you should make it your ringtone. It's so catchy, you know? Uh, shouts to... Uh, it would be so weird for me to have a ringtone that is my own name. You know... Because I'm not calling myself, Will. I don't know what your phone habits are like, but I'm not calling Blake Murphy. For a while, for a while, after uh, Drake dropped, um, if you're listening to this, it's too late, and there was the song Six Man for Lou Williams. And for a while, I actually downloaded that song and clipped it so that he said, will Lou instead of Lou will. And I did make that my ringtone for like five minutes and then it got annoying. Yeah. I so. mean, that's a good bit. Okay. Yeah. It's as close as you possibly can to like taking something like that and making it your own. I, uh, I, in I'm, this case, it's just my ringtone would be Derek Brandeo saying my name. Yeah. And I'm not calling me. So it's not same, on the same level as Drake. I got you. Um, I got to send that to, to Derek. Actually, that could be a nice little drop just for myself. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> this is what we have on the show. Uh, for the first segment here, so we are going to talk about um, the most discussed preseason game, okay? Obviously, everybody watched that Raptors-Kings game on a Sunday, and everyone got very excited. Um, Shouts to you know, the city of Vancouver, great hosts. It was a great atmosphere, great crowd. Uh, so we wanted to sort of touch on a couple of things that we saw um, in terms of just in that preseason game. Uh, we want to talk more about sort of the Raptors style of play for this upcoming season. That's obviously the big focus with uh, Darko coming in to replace Nick Nurse, a head coach. Uh, and also just what else we might potentially want to see uh, from training camp. So, Blake, uh, we'll, we'll start here. I, I have outlined three preseason trends um, to watch. And I want to start you with the biggest one, which is that Dennis Schroeder uh, is starting at point guard. Gary Trent Jr. was the first guard off the bench. But Dennis was with the starting five. Um, he was taking pretty much all the reps with the starters in training camp as well. So this clearly looks like the direction they want to go. Um, your thoughts. Do you like the starting lineup with Dennis instead of Gary? I don't think it's an optimized five-man unit. I think if you were playing five minutes and you had to win those five minutes, you probably do have Gary Trent in there for the little bit of extra spacing. And to be honest, one of my biggest takeaways from that preseason game was if Gary Trent Jr. is going to defend at that level with regularity, mm. him being in with the starters is more tenable. Now, I understand why they did it. Um, as much as they want to funnel more playmaking through Jakob Pertl in the high post and through Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam as wing creators, uh, it is really important to have a guy who is naturally a lead ball handler mm, out there. Right. So I, I understand it. I think, you know, based on what we've seen in their recent careers, Schroeder's probably a, a slightly better defender than Gary Trent at point of attack. If, if they want like an actual point guard handling those pick and rolls. Um, so I get it. I think this is probably a case where if that's the five man unit, they will outplay opponents slightly, but it's going to be more about what they do on the defensive end and in transition. I don't know that the offense is going to look 
quite as smooth as it did against a Sacramento Kings team that was in full, like still in scrimmage mode defensively. Right. right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it does make a lot of sense because um, on the perspective that watching that game, I got the distinct impression that Dennis and Jakob in particular were there to set the table so the other three guys could score. That being Pascal, that being OG, that being Scotty. And, you know, there were a couple of moments where they looked for their own, but Jakob is not particularly aggressive as a scorer anyway. Um, he definitely takes all the shots that he needs to take, but doesn't go out of his way and doesn't break any rhythm. Uh, and then Dennis, it was very curious to sort of see him in this role because it was different than sort of the lead playmaking role that he had with the Lakers uh, or even when he was more of a featured scorer, uh, sort of a six-man type of uh, role in Atlanta and also in OKC. So if that's sort of how it's going to be balanced with those two guys not particularly looking to score but just to set up, I get it. Because one of the things, too, is just you you do have Dennis bringing the ball up, and that kind of saves you a lot of energy for some of your other guys who would be doing it, whether that's Scotty or whether that's Pascal. And especially the way they wanted to run a lot of their offense, you needed somebody to start to trigger the play, get the ball into the post, and then screen for one of your scores to come receive the ball. And I think this actually puts Scotty, especially in more of a position to, to be more of a scorer. Is that also what you saw? Yeah, definitely. And Scotty, you know, one of the biggest challenges with him, if he's going to have the ball more and initiate more offense this year, is how do you create those little advantages for him? Because, you know, last year when we saw, say, his pick and roll ball handling reps, even if you're encouraged by the potential there, you know, creating that first advantage so that you can start getting downhill on a defense was difficult. If you can get him more coming off of pin downs, coming off of screen, the screener stuff so that he's getting the ball initially with a little bit of an edge. I think that goes a huge way to, to kind of making that transition and workload easier for him. The other thing that I noticed with Schroeder and Pirtle in particular is, you know, you can't account for, not having great spacing. But one way that you can is if you're going to run a lot of stuff through the high post and run a lot of DHO and stuff, the speed with which Dennis Schroeder hits actions and hits mm. gaps is really big. That that is right. that is a way to counter some of the, the spacing concerns that you're going to have because he's just, you know, sometimes we see those initiating plays. And I think back to like the Corey Joseph, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, three-man weave that they'd run at the top of the three-point line to start possessions in that era. And it's like, okay, well, you're you're doing something here and it has a point, but you're not really like executing it with conviction that's going to put a defense on their their heels and make tough decisions. Schroeder's speed is an element that can really do that for them. So, you know, it, it doesn't make up for if Schroeder were a 40% off ball three point shooter, but it's a helpful thing that I, I don't know that I had quite appreciated when they talk about running more through Jakob at the elbow extended that Schroeder's speed kind of bursting in and out of those uh, makes it a, l- a little tougher for a defense than a, than an average speed guy. And again, back to your point, if, if the defense has to pay more attention to that two man action, than Schroeder and Pirtle would suggest on paper, then that advantage has to flow to someone, whether it's Barnes or, or Siakam. Yeah which um, definitely Scotty got involved a lot more. And that's my second uh, point to watch. But just to wrap this, this first point up, how did you like Gary as a player off the bench? Cause one of my concerns with this idea was I think Dennis can play well in both roles. Mm-hmm. And I think um, he showed that he can play well in a starting role. But for me, every time Gary has come off the bench, whether that was the second half of the year in Tampa, when he got traded to the Raptors uh, or last season, when he got a couple of shifts on the bench, um, he struggled in that role and that led to sort of unbalanced lineups. And I didn't feel like we got the best out of Gary. He had a great game. He, he had 22 points. 
He was a leading scorer, and he was very efficient off the bench. As you mentioned, his defense actually looked pretty more engaged too. So what do you think is the key to getting that success from Gary off the bench? Yeah, some of it's going to be his level of, I guess, for lack of a better term, buy-in. I'm not saying, I'm not using that term to suggest he wasn't bought into a bench role before, but you have to sit him down and explain, similar to the Raptors championship year when Serge Ibaka had to start coming off of the bench, right? You have to sell that move and you have to say, look, if you are coming off of the bench, you're still going to get your 30 minutes. You're still going to get your 15 field goal attempts. But we, you are more important to, say, 15 of those 30 minutes that you're going to play than if you got your 30 minutes as a starter. You're mm. so important to these second units. We need your shooting and your ability to you know, come around screens and, and work two-man action, whether it's Barnes or Pirtle or whoever is staggering from the starters. Like He's immensely important to those transitional units being able to breathe at all offensively to where I think you can sell them on, hey, you're a bigger part of the offense this way than you would be as a starter where, yeah, you're going to get your catch-and-shoot threes, but that's pretty much all you'd be doing in the starting lineup. And I think, you know, we'll see. It was one preseason game, but he was like, he was the number one guy on my list in terms of who who was I most impressed with, who did I have the most takeaways about yeah. in that preseason opener. So that's not to say he couldn't do it as a starter. My biggest question, though, with Gary Trent off the bench isn't even really related to Gary Trent. It's, okay, well, if Trent is off the bench and Schroeder's a starter, you know, is that kind of bench score coming off a lot of pin downs kind of role you know, does that make Grady Dick redundant for right now? Can they do that effectively with both of them? That that would be my bigger question is how these bench units, which, by the way, didn't have Precious Achua or Christian Coloco the other day, um, how those are going to float. But, yeah, so far, I mean, shoot, Gary Trent Jr. was the best player on the floor for for either one of those teams, and that's, uh, that's encouraging to see day one. Yeah. Um, I think for me, watching Gary, one of the concerns or one of the areas of growth I'd like to see this season is his playmaking. Um, mm-hmm. there were definitely times in that game where Gary wanted to make plays and he was trying to make the pass. It just looks so unnatural. It's zero assist to five turnovers. And even in a preseason yeah. game is going to stand out, yeah. right? And, and it's not even a slander point. I actually think that this is an area of growth for him because I think for him to get to the level where, you know, where we see some of these other shooting guards around the league, um, who are making really good money, like a Tyler hero, like an Anthony Simons. A lot of the offensive package, I think Gary actually has in terms of the scoring. Um, and even at certain points, I feel like when Gary's really engaged offensively, he has an edge on, on that front. The playmaking, that's where I'm like, I need to see any of that from Gary rather than for a guy like Tyler who, you know, handles it a little bit more naturally but is also a better passer than Gary. Anthony Simons is kind of a one or a two. I think Gary has so much growth to be made on that playmaking side. And I appreciated his intent. I think that that shows that he was coachable. That shows that uh, he's trying to buy into what the rest of the team was doing. It just looked reluctant because he was like, wait, when the ball leaves my hand, isn't it supposed to head to the basket rather than a teammate? And it's a it, like we're not talking about a guy who passes a little bit, passing a little bit more. We're talking about a guy who among combo guards last year, this is per cleaning the glass. Nobody tallied assists relative to how often they shot the ball less frequently than Gary Trent. Yeah, yeah. He was literally number one in the league in I don't create assists versus how often I shoot the ball. Mm. Now, a, a big trade-off of that is you look at Gary Trent's whole career, he's constantly been among the league leaders in turnover percentage. He never turns the ball over. Hard to turn over when you're shooting it. This is exactly it. And I think yeah. it's something we're probably going to talk about is, well, there's a lot more passing, there's a lot more assists, so we're going to have to get used to more turnovers. Probably. And and for Gary Trent, that's going to be a learning experience, not because he's a ball hog or doesn't want to play the right way, but it's a fundamental change in his role from you're the fifth starter. You're a catch and shoot guy. 
you always have the green light to shoot to, hey, those things are true. The green light's still there, but we are asking you to be, you know, kind of a secondary point guard, yeah. like a, a more traditional two guard in those second units and those transitional units. So it'll be, I'm excited to see how it goes because despite the numbers that I just said, I actually thought his offensive decision-making got a little bit better last year than than it was the year before. So now what does that look like if he's being tasked to actually pass more, you know, versus, you know, last year, I think we evaluated his decision-making in, well, did you shoot or did you not shoot? Mm -hmm. And now it's going to be, did you shoot? Did you not shoot? Did you create something for a teammate? You know, what does that look like? So it's, it should be a really fun challenge to, to track for Gary Trent. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited um, just so to see his season. Because I think one of the underrated things, too, about, about Gary is he opted in. So he decided to stay here. And obviously that was before the start of free agency. So he didn't know for sure if Fred was moving on and who was coming in to replace him. And um, But I'm sure Darko had some sort of conversations or the, the franchise had some sort of conversations with Gary. And he chose to sort of opt in for this season. So I don't think it's a surprise that he's coming off the bench. Or in this role, I think that the more time you have to sort of prepare and communicate. One thing that spoke um, that Gary spoke about at, at media day was just like this: is the most I've been communicated with with a coach um, in my career. And um, yeah, I mean, Darko's only been his coach for a short amount of time. You know what I mean? So these are things that work a lot better when you're able to sort of deliver that message across, rather than you know, uh, even at times last year where it was sort of surprising whether or not Gary was going to start or not, or whether he was going to get called out or not by the media or by in the media by Nick Nurse. So, And this is a part of what we talk about when we talk about, hey, the culture is supposed to be shifting away from selfishness to unselfishness or whatever. Like this is not a, hey, there's a, a home sense, live, laugh, love, uh, you know, unselfishness. We should get that in the background. Thing the on the, on the for, board. For Alex, when, we should get it for producer Alex. A live, laugh, love plaque right beside the Raptor show. Yeah. Um, so it's not that, right? It's, it's about how does this ideology bleed into everything that you're doing? Yeah. And if you want to play a more free-flowing offense where the name of the game, if you play an offense like that, if you're looking at, you know, Serbian international basketball or, or what Croatia looked like when, when they were playing against Canada and things like that, there is a huge element of trust to that. Mm. And that's not just a teammate trust. That's a, if you're Gary Trent and you sit down with this organization and you decide to opt in, yeah, a big part of that is about, well, I think I could get a bigger bag if I have a really good season this year. Yeah, That's a big part of it. But you also have to trust that you're going to be in a position to improve and still get your numbers and contribute to winning. Like, that's a a big part of this. I'm not saying it's all solved because there was one pretty good preseason game, but those are the kind of things that that you're looking for when, because a lot of what the Raptors are talking about changing is is intangible, right? Like, like unselfishness does not just mean assists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or more passes. In volume, I think it's sort of even things like when you cut off the ball and that drags a help defender away and then it opens up a shot. And there's cutting, no assist. There's nothing in the box score for that. But that is absolutely an unselfish move. Cutting with intention too, right? Like yeah. executing these off ball movements in a way that if you're OG and you're making a baseline cut and then lifting out of the corner off of it and you know that you're like the fifth option on this place, you're probably not going to get the ball. Run that like you're the first option. I remember CJ yeah. Miles always used to use the term carry the threat. Yeah, and it was just right. everything you do act like the play is designed for you because then the def- the defense doesn't know mm-hmm. who the play yeah. is designed for, and I think that's a part of it too. Right. Um, okay. So we, we touched that on earlier. My second preseason trend to watch so far is just how much more involved Scotty um, has been, and I think that um, that's on both ends, both the system and the the coaching. And it feels like he's very much empowered by the team to say, "Hey, you go and run it." And also, I, I'm seeing that engagement and that want from Scotty as well to say. 
I want to be involved. I want to get this team started. And yes, the plays are being called for me, but I'm also going to take those opportunities. Because I thought last season there were a lot of moments where he faded in and out. At least in the first preseason game, he looked really involved. It's very consistent with sort of what they've been saying and talking to us about uh, in terms of their plans for him going forward. And I and I love seeing, you know, it, you know, it was interesting because it was nothing new from Scotty that um, that he didn't show us in the past, right? I mean, you could say a couple plays, he got a little low, and there's a play where he got really low and he got to dunk on JaVale McGee. That was great to mm-hmm. see. But we've seen that from Scotty. We've seen great flashes of great ability consistently uh, over the course of his two-year career so far. But I think for me, what was interesting was the intent, the purpose, the speed that he was running it at with and the aggression that he played with. It, it was very refreshing, and I thought that, uh, you know, he was... I mean, honestly, I, I think Gary was the leading scorer, but I, I thought Scotty for me, was actually the better player in that first game. And I think a good indicator of that level of aggression is just how much he got out in transition. Like, he was a part of seven, yeah. seven play finishes in transition, whether by by shot or by pass. Right. And that's a really good number. And And if you look at what changed statistically from his rookie season to his sophomore season. There were some improvements, certainly, but the volume that he was involved in the transition game and his effectiveness in transition both took a step back last hmm. year. And I think that, first Why of all... Why do you think that is, by the way? Because that's an interesting thing. I mean, part of it is he he seems to attribute it to conditioning. Okay. Like, he's talked so sure. much about conditioning in the early preseason here. You gotta have great conditioning um, to go up and down, obviously. Yeah, and I, I never at a, a single time last year looked and thought Scotty was not in good condition. I mean... But I yeah. also have not run the floor up and down for 40 minutes a game and, and yeah. how that affects, you know, your bursts. You know, hey, if there's a potential for it to be a two-on-one or you slow it down just a little bit and play it in semi-transition instead, yeah. that stuff bleeds in. And I think... You know, there's also a, a hard part of it where, you know, Dwayne Casey used to explain it with Pascal Siakam's early careers. Like, you can get eight points a game just by running the floor really hard and crashing the offensive glass sometimes. Like, yep. if you're the first man down the floor, that's an easy two. We can find you. We don't have to script offense for you, and you can get your numbers. And that was easy to say with for Scotty as a rookie. And then last year, as the offensive responsibility grew, maybe it was just a little tougher to, to find those opportunities. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, he seems to attribute it at least a little bit to conditioning, which he would know better than I would. Yeah. Um, but it, it's something that I'm looking for. Obviously he was very aggressive in the half court as well. I love That's his, what I like seeing too. Yeah, yeah. I love his little, I'm going to face this guy up to drive. And when I hit the elbow, I'm going, I'm going to like turn my shoulder as if this is going to be a post up. And then the second that guy, you know, steadies himself for post defense. Oh, I flip right mm-hmm. back and burst yeah. by him. Like I, I love that little shoulder fake move. And I think he's already really good at it. I, I just, I like the aggression overall, both as a passer and a scorer. Like this isn't just yeah. about, you know, forcing your way and using your strength to the rim. He made some sharp passes that were difficult passes to make too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think with Scotty too, it was interesting watching um, just the way he was able to um, operate sort of without the, the extra burden of like having to bring the ball up and create and initiate the play. Very few times he did that. I, I feel like most times he was actually set up to be a scorer in the half court. And he was coming off the screen to receive the ball to then attack rather than to bring the ball up, set the play up, and then sort of like wait a little bit to get the ball back. Do you this think that cut helps the a guy's man. mentality? I think absolutely because that's your intent for the play is to make Scotty score, make Scotty attack, or, or at least put Scotty in a position where he's generating that advantage to then either deciding to score or deciding to pass. And obviously, he's got great judgment on that. I think that felt like there was a lot less burden on him. Also, just he wasn't playing center. Like, there's so much of last season he played center. And I feel like in terms of conditioning, 
I don't know, having to box out Steven Adams for 30 <laughs> minutes might drain you of your conditioning and maybe not have the legs to always run after doing that. Very few players in the league will have that ability. I think having Jakob in here too, even though that doesn't necessarily help him in terms of the spacing um, on the offensive end, I think it helps him so much on the defensive end in the sense that he doesn't have to do that kind of stuff. He doesn't have to be setting the screens for most of these actions. He's like empowered to be the one to decide how he's going to play that advantage. And I thought the offense did a good job of, you know, like for example, they ran a lot of dribble handoffs, right? That cuts down on all in, in, of the, the type of things that he needs to do in terms of like playmaking with the ball in his hands, right? He doesn't need to break a guy down at the three point line, which is already going to be difficult for him because teams don't re respect him out there. So they give him that gap. So it's hard for him to break that guy down. He doesn't have to run the pick and roll where potentially a double team comes to him. He's coming off a dribble handoff after already getting a little down screen away from the action. And that gives him a separation from his man to then receive the ball from another screen. And by that point, that advantage was generated for him because of the off-ball movement in the in the in the offense. So, I think there was a reason too, like in terms of the system that we're running, that also helped uh, his effectiveness. But I mean, my hope is just this happens all season because he looked awesome, and I was actually kind of disappointed when um, Darko took him out. Obviously, it was very sensible. You don't want to overplay your guys in a in a preseason setting but I, I i just wanted to see like 35 minutes of that you know yeah yeah absolutely and um you know you mentioned the handoffs by the way just to throw a little stat at the raptors finished nine plays via handoff mm. and this so synergy the way they count plays they don't okay Azeltan, let's go let's go yeah if you uh, <laughs> if you if they engage in a dribble handoff and then there's a pass and a subsequent move yeah. like it only counts if the handoff is the play immediately preceding a shot attempt or a turnover um, but still nine would have been more than double what they averaged last year so even in a preseason right. game where the where the starters didn't play a ton of minutes mm -hmm. you already saw a big jump now Sacramento had 24 because they have Demontis Sabonis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, they just run a, a boatload of that stuff. But, but it you was, can see with the Kings, like that's a very effective way to run offense. I for them. I thought it was a really good first preseason opponent for people trying to learn, you know, what does a high post offense look like? What is yeah. what does more dribble handoff look like? Because you got to see the Kings do it pretty much every time, and they'll do. I mean, they'll sequence like three or four of them in a row right, right. if they if they need to, to to create some spacing. But yeah, I thought it was good. I'm curious as to your take on you know you mentioned a lot about the the aggression and aggression is you know an on-court basketball skill but it's also a, a mental skill as well um that and how it presented in terms of scotty's defense i know it's a preseason game and nobody's all that locked in but when we talk about the year ahead for scotty and we talk about something like his aggression how much like just how just how much are you eyeing in on the defensive side of this versus like i, th I think a lot of the talk is going to be about his offensive package and what exactly his role looks like but I think Scotty Barnes has the potential to be a, a very good defensive piece as well, especially in a scheme where, you know, it looked like the Raptors are going to run a little more conservative here and yeah. let guys guard their man. Yeah, I think that's going to showcase the already really good, strong defensive talent you have individually. Like, I think, um, first off, bringing Jakob in last season, that did help the Raptors defense a ton. Mm -hmm. um, I know no one really wants to talk about the second half of last season. Uh, I don't understand that the Jakob move was unexpected based on the fact that everyone thought that they were going to tank. Instead, they make a win now trade. But that did improve the team in a meaningful way. And I think that you have him at center. That means that Pascal doesn't play center. Scotty doesn't play center. OG doesn't have to play center. They can guard their man more individually. And I thought you saw lots of moments of great individual defensive brilliance because I think that these guys are really good individual defenders. You know, like if you're talking about Jakob's going to guard the center and OG's going to guard the best, you know, score on the other team, you're talking about Scotty Barnes is now checking, what, their third, you know, biggest threat usually. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's like Pascal might have that. Scotty might be on the fourth biggest threat. There's so many opportunities for him to like swarm and 
and use his length and use his strength and rebound the ball and push. I thought I thought that really activated him as a as a playmaker in the full court as well. But I don't I never really doubted Scotty's defense. I yeah. think even when he was up and down, his defense was always kind of there for me. Um, and he's shown the versatility to guard every position. But I think yeah, I mean the if the leap is going to happen, I think these are the good conditions. And I'm for glad you to make, be made. I'm glad you mentioned the the defensive rebounds because this is probably very related to what we were just talking about the transition. Him being empowered to grab and go right, like yeah. we think of that as a Russell Westbrook thing of oh Stephen Adams' job is not to grab the rebound; it's the yeah. clear guys out of the way so Russell Westbrook can grab it and go. If you can do that with a guy who's like six foot nine, yeah, and yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's uh, I'm excited to to see how that plays. And you know, there's obviously as as much to unpack defensively over the course of the next couple weeks as offensively but yeah a more conservative scheme on defense there are times over the last two years where I'd like pull my hair you out know, you and, and I were here every Tuesday yeah. being like all right the Raptors are going to double team the ball yeah play no you have center, OG and how are swipe. you simultaneously yeah. making the case that OG Ananobi should be defensive player of the year but also then schematically giving him like, so much help we don't trust OG Ananobi yeah. to guard anyone. doesn't make any sense yeah so yeah. I, I'm super excited for that and yeah if Scotty's guarding the third or fourth best option on the other team no, we're, we're good the, yeah there's no reason we had what seven rebounds in 18 minutes yeah. you fantasy players out there are going to get your get your rebounds from that Scotty Barnes spot no seriously though um all right, last, last preseason trend was just the rotation. I mean, it went 10 deep in the first half. And in the first half, I thought Darko was actually playing the minutes. Obviously, in the second half, he started with the starters and they came out. Preseason, you can't look at the rotation fully, but his stated intention at media day was that he wants to play 10 deep. Mm-hmm. He played 10 deep. And, you know, I thought out of the outside of Gary, who we know is going to be a very good um, player and, you know, starting level player, but Jalen McDaniels, surprise contributor off the bench. Um what do you think we should expect from McDaniels? Because we never really talked about him for most of the offseason. But he's a guy with really great length. I would say he's closer to 6'10 than he is closer to 6'8 to me. Mm-hmm. Like he's very, very tall. Got great length. Um, seems to move well. Uh, and he could knock down a three. Like, Yeah, that's, that's, that's going to good. be the swing one for me is obviously if he can knock down a three because... I mean, shocker, this team is going to need some three point shooting yeah. from some places. Yeah. And look, he's a very slender six foot ten. So I don't think okay. I don't I don't know that we're gonna see him, you know, pick and pop the way Precious would pick and pop. Because, well, we're playing mostly as a three right now. Yeah, yeah, which is which is wild because, you know, obviously this team loves length and things like that. But again, he's he's listed at six foot ten now. Um so yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see what this looks like. I think the defensive potential with that length is is pretty obvious if you can you know get more out of him on that side of the ball i was a little surprised to see him play this much out of the gate like like him and thad young right. both playing in those second units was like a minor surprise to me but again yeah. precious and christian coloco and auto porter all yeah. sat out yeah. so how does that shake out but no i was i was impressed i mean it's a it's a small window where even in that bench unit you were probably the number 5 guy so you're kind of just trying to get in where you fit in but hey hit the glass and, and be, like I, I don't. Again, the not to oversimplify when it comes to bench forwards. If you hit the threes, you're gonna have a role on this yeah. team because someone they're gonna need someone to do. You can like Precious and Christian Coloco and Chris Boucher and McDaniel's all you want, but probably the guy who is going to have the safest job is the guy who's knocking down threes the most for those second units because there's just not a lot of shooting in them. Even with Gary, uh, I mean, maybe if you get Gary and Grady Dick in there, but we didn't really see those two together much. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, look, I think Grady's he's a rookie, and I, I don't think that, like, the first game he's going to be in the rotation. And I think that, obviously, there's a lot of excitement over uh, over uh, what Grady can do, but, you know, that's such a high expectation for anybody. And we also remember that, like, he's 19 years old. Um, 
man, I, I think for me, it was just refreshing watching like a productive backup small forward for the Raptors. Because <laughs> I feel like outside of OG, the year that he backed up Kawhi, which was what a luxury that was, my God. Um, we just have not had like, we've had a lot of like makeshift options. You know what I mean? Like it's the been starting small and, forward changed like every year for like 15 years. Yeah, post Vince. So yeah. obviously your backup small forward is going to be a bit of a mess of a situation then as well. Yes. But I mean, even with Kawhi moving on, it was like Rondé. It was Stanley Johnson. It was Rodney hood for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, got excited for Rodney hood. Um, we got uh, what a little bit of Svee. We got some Thad Young at at at, at small forward for significantly after he got traded here the first uh, year. Uh, who did we run there last year? It was supposed to be Otto, but he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw some Precious at three. Yeah. So like for me, like McDaniel's at three, even though I don't think he's like clear cut going to be in the rotation all the time. But I don't really see why not. Like he feels way more natural in that position than, than most of the guys. On top of the fact that Otto is supposed to be healthy. So this is the thing, right, yeah. is is you can say that he makes sense in that role and you would like to see it, but the Raptors have shown us they will not hesitate to put, you know, Thad Young was at times the center and at times maybe the two last year. Like, they will yeah, just throw right. a bunch of power forward-ish guys out there and try to make it work. So I think, you know, you look, what is it, Thad, Boucher, McDaniels, um, and then the three guys who were out, Achua, Coloco, and Otto Porter, there's not six or seven rotation spots no. for those guys. So there is going to be a competition here, which I think is is helpful, right? It lets you be mindful of Thad and Otto's actual workloads. It lets you have a little bit of internal competition. Um, I, I would think good outing aside and being a Jalen McDaniels fan generally, he, I, I think if Precious were healthy, he's probably not getting those minutes just yet. Yeah, but I'm also curious in terms of like, so the, it, they want to play Precious more as a four or as a five. Mm-hmm. So we saw a little bit of that with Chris Boucher, who would uh, receive the ball in the high post. And I thought that he struggled with that just because I don't think he, it's a, that natural form and also B, I think guys are pushing him out of position. Mm-hmm. So they were making the passes really difficult to get to him. It was more effective for the second unit when they gave the ball to Thad young in, in that high post action. Um, obviously Jakob did all of these reps for the yeah. starters. I think that's how they envision it for precious mm-hmm. in, in the second unit. And so my, my thinking is more yeah. though, that if that's the case, do those when Precious is back, if he's the de facto five, does that mean Boucher slides the four and Thad slides the three? Yeah, I, and McDaniel's is out, or Boucher just needs out? to play the three there. Yeah, I, I, this I is think, what I'm curious about. Is like yeah. there are three rotation spots maybe for six of these guys. Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, you got to factor in injuries with some of these yeah. guys, and competition's good. And competition is good. And and I think if I had just my preferred uh, group, it would be Precious at five. It'd be Chris, kind of. Well, he's actually. I guess you could say he's a four, but he's kind of like a three or a four. I think him and McDaniels have a similar role in that sense, not on the ball too much, spacing it out, running in transition, you know, pushing off a rebound if you have it. Um, and then Gary, and then hopefully you have one of the guys, one of the main play makers, whether that's Scotty or uh, even Dennis, I think would, would play pretty well with that group, mm-hmm. even Pascal. Um, so I, I think we have some good options. And and I think my bigger thing, it's just to zoom out from those three trends was just, I'm liking the trade-offs that the Raptors are seemingly willing to sort of um, give because it's even just after one game, you can definitely tell an intention of how they want to play. And there's going to be some trade-offs that come with that. So I think for me, the first trade-off is the Raptors want to pass more, but that's going <laughs> to lead to more turnovers. 29 of them. Yes. But they also have 30 assists, which I think they did like uh, four times or five times last yes. year, which was really sad. But yeah. Are you cool with that like trade-off? I am because, you know, I don't 
like I think some of it is are you being realistic about where you are and like if this team actually thinks they could be you know a 49 50 win team then that trade-off is a lot harder if you're looking at this as more of yeah we're going to be a play-in-ish team a 500-ish team but we're going to get way better over the course of the year and we're going to be harder to defend and our guys are going to learn how to play this style for later in the year and for next year and things like that I think you can absolutely live with that 29 turnovers is crazy that's that's it, an it extreme kind of nice. yeah. you, you would have to scale that back but there's a lot of the third unit that contributed to it. not to point fingers but my god those rookies just kept running into alex len for no reason yeah um yeah. jfl yeah with a couple and yeah. marquise with a couple there and grady had a couple too but uh look i it, mean it was great it was great seeing the garrett temple running a summer camp lineup because that's what yeah. it was 37 year old garrett temple and then a whole bunch of you know 19 20 year olds. so here's my ask for for alex when we get going yeah. in the in the actual season is yeah, yeah. i need we need a, a like when we do the weekly 905 update or whatever okay we gotta get garrett temple's take because like garrett temple's take the it's, way, like a, it's like parent corner on bill simmons podcast we yeah because <laughs> i mean i don't know the little bits of practice that you we've seen clips of and stuff it looks like he's running with those guys fairly regularly yeah um well i so i, I keep know. hearing great things about sort of just how much garrett has really helped out the coaching staff Everyone, and also the young players everybody loves garrett Temple. Yeah, I know, and I know we, we heard all, this coming in right yeah, like yeah, yeah. i think james herbert of cbs sports had a really great piece on him whether it was last year or the year before he about wrote like a garrett temple piece yeah oh james. about let's, like, call, let's call james a We're really call james. good feature okay. about like how has garrett temple who is fine, but not like at no point in his career has he been like awesome. Yeah. How has he carved out a role and played for every team in the league and like become an important figure in the players union, things like that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's similar to it's some of what we heard when Thad came in. Yeah. Just like he is a really good kind of extension of the coaching staff has been through so many, like it would shock me if Garrett Temple doesn't end up being a coach or GM at some point in the future. Wow. And I say this only on secondhand stories about Garrett Temple, not yeah. yet having gotten to know him uh, myself. Eric Crean also had a really good piece on him where they mm. kind of did the Eric loves to, when old vet guys come in, do the, Hey, how much nonsense do you remember about your own career? And uh, yeah, he, he remembered every single thing. Yeah. Um, by the way, shots to uh Shouts to Garrett Temple, by the way. So when they were out in Vancouver, Garrett Temple mm-hmm. uh, showed up to support the teaching support staff union at uh, Simon Fraser University. He showed up to the picket line, uh, showed solidarity, and actually spoke to the organizers there too. So shouts to shouts to Garrett Temple, man. Just just honestly, a flat out awesome human being. And um, yeah, not not going to see the court all that much in terms of the actual play, but uh, I think he's going to help out a lot behind the scenes. So yeah, we're we're all cool with Morris and, and and more turnovers. It's just totally different from how they played last year. Yeah, because they were very much like, don't pass the ball because you might turn it over. So just get the shot up and we'll crash an offensive rebound. That led to some really nasty styles of play. I, I'm not going to lie to you. And it, it's been look Raptors fans as a whole have not seen a lot of high passing basketball in the last decade or so, Mm -hmm. like the DeMar Kyle teams were always pretty low assist and very low turnover. And that was part of it is like, part of it was, well, DeMar was an ISO guy and they were conservative in late game situations and stuff. Part of it was also just the way the offense was designed. The way it flowed was they weren't, they weren't like bottom of the league in passing, but they were usually bottom five to bottom eight in assists, Mm. but they were also, you know, they never turned the ball over and they got lots of free throws. They won the possession game. So that is something that, on both ends of the floor, I think we have to adjust to where last year the Raptors set an NBA record for how many more 
shooting yep. possessions they had <laughs> yeah. than an opponent. So when you take in the uh, turnover battle, the rebound battle, you you account for free throws and things like that. No team has ever gotten more shooting possessions than their opponent the way the Raptors did. Yep. That is going yep. to normalize this year if you are more willing to create turnovers and your offense goes a, a little bit more conservative in terms of forcing them. That's going to be an adjustment in terms of how we watch the game. And when you look at the final box score, you're like, hey, Usually if we get outshot by 10 field goal percentage points, you, you win the game. That's yeah. Raptors basketball. Uh, that might not be anymore. So it's it's going to take a bit of an adjustment. Um, I think these are the things, though, like if you're going to change fundamentally how you play and you are going to change fundamentally what you think your the extension of your culture is on the court, you got to be willing to take some lumps because you, you yeah. have to tell these guys like you can't have Gary Trent go into the film session the next day and you point out his five turnovers and next time out, he's afraid to make those reads again. Like right. you have to be willing to, yes, coach it up and, and use it as use those mistakes as learning tools and have a lot of good film to break down and hope guys improve. You can't go to the extent, though, where guys start being afraid of making those mistakes because that is going to undercut the the changes you're trying to make, yeah. you know, in terms of offensive culture. Well, I mean, I think one of the other trade offs and um especially with how they're running the offense, because we'll get to the defense right after this, um, and then we'll get to a break. But the Raptors seem to be much more concerned under Darko using movement instead of the dribble to create the advantage. Are you cool with that? Yeah, I mean, they don't have a lot of guys who are naturally ball handlers, right? Yeah, like, sure. Schroeder is a point guard, but he spent most, even he spent most of his career, like being in and out of the true point guard role. Right. Yeah. Like we want, we all want to see Scotty Barnes ro- handle the ball more, mm-hmm. but you know, whatever the Samson folk breakdown was at Raptors Republic the other day about his pick and rolls last year, like he, he didn't create an advantage on enough yeah, of them relative yeah. to league average. Um, I, I know people, the discussion of Fred got, I, I never want to revisit oh, it God. ever yeah, again. We're actually making it a rule not to talk about Fred. Yeah. Anymore. But like, that was the guy who had the ball in his hands the most. If you needed exactly that and yeah. it wasn't just you know you don't make that decision unilaterally they like og doesn't have the world's best handle and, and ability to break a guy down one-on-one with consistency yeah and, and that goes kind of through the roster so you're gonna have to do this um i also think it look you're not hard to defend if you're a bad offense but if you can if you're a decent offense all this stuff makes you tougher to defend makes yeah. you tougher yeah. to game plan for it means guys are working harder on the defensive end to to stop you and, and you know prevent those advantages from coming it just makes you harder to play against yeah. And I think if you're going to be an average ish team and you're trying to win at the margins of like, well, we're going to work harder. We're going to hit the floor more. You're wearing an opposing defense down and being harder to defend. That makes up for some of it that you, you just don't have necessarily on a offensive skill wise. Yeah. I think in terms of how our offense is going to look, we're going to look a lot more like Sacramento with much less shooting. Um, but still the same free-flowing ball movement, touching the high post. You know, uh, I guess our version of Sabonis would be Jakob in this situation. Um, and we'll be looking a lot more like Sacramento, a lot less like, you know, what the Brooklyn Nets looked like in the last recent years where you have guys who are attacking off a of pick and roll, but primarily going isolation, pick and roll, keeping the ball in, in safe hands, but not necessarily have the star power to, to replicate. I mean, we don't even have anything close to the star power that the, the Nets had. And then the last thing I think I would just say is defensively, just much less double teaming and overplaying and much more of being solid and avoiding breakdowns. Mm-hmm. And and you see where there are going to be adjustments to be made for, of course, of course. I, I mean, they're a young team and then also they're a team that played a dramatically different style last year. So the holdover guys, you know, even when we saw Jakob Pertl last year and the defense improved, there was kind of a, this dissonance between, well, you have a 
tradi- more traditional drop back center now, but your entire scheme is based around not having that. So there are obviously going to be some scheme changes in terms of how you try to keep guys away from the paint, how you handle pick and roll and things like that. And we, we saw a couple times, you know, um, Jakob does something and someone doesn't pick up his man or, or, you know, that conservative play makes you a little more susceptible to the Gortat screen, right? Sabonis got him with one or two of those. Um, so everyone still has to be on a thread like they were in the past, but I think, yeah, you can, look, I, I, I like the aggressive defense generally as a strategy, but it, it tilted too far the other way to where you weren't even protecting the rim anymore and you weren't eliminating corner threes. Like they give up, I mean, for a couple of years now, they've been threatening their own record of corner threes surrendered in a season, but also last <laughs> year, they, record. last year, they just, at least in the, like in the run it back season, yeah, they yeah. set that record, but nobody got shots near the rim against the Raptors. Yeah. And that was partially because of Marcus Hall and Serge Ibaka, but also like the strategy was designed for, we don't have traditional rim protection. What are we okay sacrificing to keep guys out of the paint? And then last year they were also just really bad at letting people into the paint and score and really following. well. Yeah, yeah. so, so it had gone too far the other way. I, I yeah. love an OG pick six as much as anyone, but yeah, yeah, I think this better suits, I think it's just a more like sustainable and repeatable style of play if you can be aggressive still, but like more selectively aggressive and, yeah. you know, just not start every defense possession scrambling. Yeah, or or just put it this way, like you only have so many steps that you can take on the court before you got tired. Mo- move those steps on offense as part of a movement offense and limit as many of those steps on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. And it just makes a lot more sense. It creates a better style of play. Well, uh, that wraps up the segment uh, that we were going to do on the Toronto Raptors. Uh, we're going to actually take a quick break and uh, bring in our third co-host, Alex Wong for the NBA survey. So stay tuned to that. But before we wrap, uh, I mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, you have your own, you know, Blake Murphy Tuesdays, I guess it's Blake Murphy every day now, but uh, I had my own, Drop back in the day. So that's this drop right here. Yeah, it did not uh it didn't it did not quite hit. Uh but and that's why I only had it for my ringtone for five minutes. But we're gonna take that break. I've been your host, Willu. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sports Night Radio Network. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sports Night Radio Network. I'm your host, Wen Lu. We're also with fellow co-host Blake Murphy and also producer and co-host Alex Wong. Alex, uh, what do you have for us from the NBA GM survey? All right, no rush, man. Sub dogs. Um, you know, <laughs> was, was my pacing too high? Was I, was I, was I Dennis Schroeder running the <laughs> offense? Right yeah. Now? Yeah. I'm trying to adjust to this new season right now. Yeah. So I know Blake's got his drop the Blake Murphy Tuesday. Yeah. Um, I didn't have my headphones on Derek. Can I hear the, the Will Lou drop that he has? Okay. That's terrible. Um, and <laughs> I've got the lethal weapon drop. So, you know, this got to be the first show on Sportsnet where all three people on the show have their own drop. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's kind of amazing. It's like the Raptors uh, setting the record. I'm the lethal weapon. <laughs> I do not finish second. Yeah, this is a corner threes allowed record right here. <laughs> I love here. how you guys have this wonderful Raptors segment. And I'm like, yo, here comes the chaos, brothers. I'm yeah. still so disappointed the lethal weapon drop is not Steve Blackman's entrance music from early 2000s WWF. You no, know that, that's your banter. All right. Yeah, Will's <laughs> going to have to watch more wrestling for this season to understand what you guys are saying. Will- if you want to understand Tyrese Halliburton, you got to you got to go back and watch uh, WWE Fastlane, uh, you, which you. you can watch on Sportsnet Plus, by the way. That's that's I have Sportsnet Plus, but I have not watched the wrestling. I'm not oh, yeah, going to lie to you. We were sent the password. Uh, appreciate it. Sportsnet for that. Yeah. Um, 
No, I love that I hop on the show for two minutes and Derek's got the battery in his back to do like six oh. drops already. You know, Derek's flexing his fingers like a piano player, man. He's about to- Shouts to Derek and Everton. No, but yeah, wanted to run some NBA topics by you guys before we wrap up right. and get out of here. Uh, this week, one of my favorite things dropped the NBA GM survey yeah. from John Schumann of NBA.com. You know, I love to I love to go through that like a, like a little dessert for myself in the offseason. <laughs> So wanted to throw a couple of things, see what you guys think. So one of the one of the questions was which team will win the NBA finals? And the Boston Celtics and Denver Nuggets uh, both tied at 33%, followed by Milwaukee, mm-hmm. Phoenix, and the Clippers. Is this surprising to you that the Celtics, who have continuously disappointed us, and Jalen Brown has continuously not been able to dribble with his left hand, um, that they're still the favorites? especially after all the moves they made. What do you think, Blake? Yeah, I think it was uh, a little surprising. Obviously, everyone around the NBA loves Drew Holiday. I think he was tops and best perimeter defender in that same survey uh, as well. So people like that addition. I think uh, given the track record of the Celtics, also given the fact that they are now given that move and how it's affected their depth, they are heavily relying on Kristaps Porzingis to stay healthy, for Al Horford to not be a 36-year-old or 37-year-old man, and like, all the 905 castoffs, like Delano and O'Shea Brissett are going to play roles on that team. Delano looked tremendous, by the way. Wait, why first, you see, uh, why you, well, this is V erasure, bro. Yes, V's in Come there on, as, uh, mm. as well. Mm. Uh, you want to talk about a guy who get po- popular in the city of Boston real quick. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, O'Shea Brissett is officially Irish again. Uh, yes. Now that he's back to oh, the God. Celtics. Yes. Mm. Uh, he, they're only going to refer to him as O'Shea and Celtics fans who like only keep up via podcasts <laughs> uh-huh. or whatever are going to be so shocked. He, when... He's O'Shea Ms. Brissett to me now. Yeah. Um, no, I was a little surprised. I, I think the Celtics have to prove it a little bit in the in the playoffs first. As as fond as I am of Drew yeah. Holiday, they're thin. They lost Marcus Smart and Grant Williams, which are as much as they added. They those are big losses as well. So um, mostly, I'm just always surprised with these things that more GMs don't go chalk with the hey. The Denver Nuggets just won the championship, but there's absolutely yeah, yeah. no reason not to think they're going to be really, really good again. They're the, like, if you're the defending champion and you didn't lose any free agents, uh, if Kawhi didn't leave, oh, come and on, you're Chris the Brown, yeah. But if you're like, if Kawhi didn't leave and you're the defending champs, you enter the season with the fewest questions about yeah. your your team yeah. and your ability to do it. So I'm always a little surprised when the the reigning champ isn't uh, top of the list. Yeah, I'm looking at three percent here of uh, NBA GMs voted the LA Clippers. That's um, my vote, by the way. The That's Finals. one GM, by the way. I'm going with the Clippers. Three percent is one person. That's Lawrence Frank. I'm going with the Clippers, guys. One of these years, Kawhi's going to play more than one and a half <laughs> playoff games. <laughs> Damn. He looked really good in that one and a half playoff uh, games yeah. last year, by the way. Yeah, yeah, against yeah. the Suns. Mahalo. <laughs> oh yeah! No, 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 no! See, see, this is a problem with Blake. Blake, Blake will say Mahalo, but he won't say Nihao. I say, <laughs> didn't I say Nihao on the on the first one we did when but, we announced this? But stuff? we need one. We need one on every show. Are okay. You, are, you, are you cool? With needing to, oh, you have man. to drop a Nihao. We, we gotta get song. Blake canceled this year. It's, it's all like good. it's like Nihao. Brian Windhorst speaking is joining of, us. Speaking another language is not cancelable. Yeah, that's that depends if you say Nihao every episode. No. You will be canceled. Yeah. No, Blake, for sure. no, Blake. We're gonna decide that. Um, yeah, yeah. Next up, next up. I thought this was really interesting. Um, John Schumann asked the GMs, if you were starting a franchise today mm. and could ask, uh, could sign any player in the NBA, who would it be? Uh, Nikola Jokic was first at 33%, followed by Victor Wembayama, uh, Giannis Atantacumpo, Luka Doncic, and then Anthony Edwards rounded out the top five. What'd you guys make of this? Who, who are you picking if you were starting a franchise today? That's a, that's a really good question, honestly. I think it, it really depends on... Honestly, I, I probably would pick Victor, too. Um, but it is hard picking against Jokic because 
if you're going to start a new franchise and you want to like quickly build relevance as quickly as possible, you need the highest floor raiser in the league, which is Nikola. You could put Nikola Jokic with all due respect. You could put Nikola Jokic with Will Barton for Will Barton's and that team is making the playoffs. I feel so, like we saw that like two years ago. Yeah, yeah well, when Jamal and Michael Porter Jr. were both hurt, yeah. that was it. No, I mean, like, we saw what Will Barton was in Toronto, and we saw what Will Barton was in Denver. It was night and day. It was like two different people. So mm. if you get Jokic into your squad and you're an expansion team, Jokic would instantly bring you back to the playoffs in a way that I don't think Victor would. But uh, over the course of 20 years, I would much rather have a Victor Wembanyama for 20 years. Yeah, that's a, that, the, the, the length of time is the, the toughest thing here. Yeah. Um, Luke at only 10%, by the way. Yeah, I, I kind of think I still go Giannis with this one. Really? He's still only okay. 28. I, I think he's also a floor raiser. Yes, we're coming off of a playoffs where an only 60% Giannis couldn't drag the Bucks out of the first round. I, I realize yeah. that's a concern. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the floor is immensely high there. And, and I think as much as Jokic is the best player in the world now, I think I have a little bit more faith in Giannis maintaining that level for a longer window. If we're, if we're talking like, I don't know, if you if you start an expansion team, you're looking at a five-year window, I think I have a little bit more confidence that Giannis is mm. at that level for the full five years, and, and maybe Wemby doesn't get there yet. Okay. Yeah, okay. I like that. I'm going with Kawhi Leonard. Um, so, you're just all Clippers <laughs> today, eh? Yeah, I'm all in. I'm all in. <laughs> all right. Which, uh, next, next one, this was interesting to me too, which player is most likely to have a breakout season? This year, I think Anthony uh-huh. Edwards coming off his, uh, you know, Team USA at the FIBA World Cup is, is number one at 23%. Uh, Kate Cunningham, who was uh, injured for most of last season, comes in number two. Uh, two Orlando Magic players. Um, can you pronounce these, Will, for me? Um, <laughs> what, Franz Wagner okay, and yeah. Paolo Bancaro? Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah. And, and Tyrese Maxey um, yeah. is, is also on that list. Any of these jump out at you? Is there a player that didn't make this voting that you think, you know, might have that potential? I'm a little surprised to see Scotty not even on also receiving votes. Hmm. Okay. We're talking about the rookie of the year in his first season. You pro Scotty now. Huh? I've, I've always, <laughs> I've, I've always been pro Scotty, man. We, we literally did check, 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 check Hang the on. podcast feed. Is guys. this we, a copy we, and paste there? Someone had Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Someone had Kyrie Irving season? on here. That's what I mean. Like how is Scotty on here? But Kyrie Irving. What's he going to break out of his thoughts about the flat earth? Uh, <laughs> he's going to break out of the flat earth, man. <laughs> oh, no. He's going to be like, he's going to sail around the world and fall off the side. Like, oh, man. Most like, well-rounded <laughs> player. Yeah. Oh, oh, buddy. Oh, yeah. Two-dimensional player for real. Um, no, but seriously, though, like Evan Mobley's on this list. You know, Shangun's on this list. These are some good picks. I, I, I like a lot of these picks, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I think Scotty would be a prime breakout. Scotty, <laughs> yeah, where is Scotty? Also, oh, how is Zion Williamson on this list? Like, I, I get... I guess the concept of it, but like it's, it's Zion. Like, I think you should just expect him to have a good season. Yeah. Th- this is always a weird one. It's like the preseason most improved player, right? Yeah. Which is mm. like, okay, well, if you pick a third year player to win most improved, we got rookies on here, man. Chad Holmgren's on here. You can't, what are you improving from? Yeah. You haven't even played yet. So given the context of how people have voted yeah. on this, I, I think my choice is Cade. Like normally okay. I would say a third year player who is the number one pick. You can't, pick that as your breakout player, but he missed all of that. I think it's like, if we go who has been on NBA people's minds and who gets talked about the most versus what's going to happen this year. I think, I think Cade is going to be the Cade we expected now. And that's a big whiplash from, you know, only playing 12 games or whatever last year. Well, uh, my point with this was just, you got Cade Mobley and Scotty and also Jalen green. Who's not on this list. Uh, as the top four right from that draft, mm-hmm. one player, one rookie of the year, all three players stagnated. If I took a step back in their second year, in the case of Cade, obviously he just wasn't healthy. So what is it? So clearly that Cade is at 20% and Evan Mobley's on receiving votes, but Scotty's not on this. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a weird, uh, 
Yes. Yeah. It's weird that it could play we, out we, that way. We got to bring out the the propaganda um, that we did uh, the, for the first season, the rookie of the year. Propaganda. Oh right, we're going yeah. back to those vibes. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I like that beef. It was kind of nice. Just call Bontemps, man. Wasn't just, Bontemps <laughs> anti Scotty Barnes? He was anti Scotty Barnes. Yeah. 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 I love how we just branded him like that right away. Uh, I mean, you know. <laughs> Shouts check, to the Hoop the Collective. The uh, uh, speaking of uh, Raptors, Erasure, um, there was another one. Who is the best perimeter defender in the NBA? Uh, Drew Holiday was number one at 50%, followed by Mikhail Bridges, Alex Caruso, Marcus Smart, my guy Kawhi Leonard. No OG Ananobi <laughs> no OG on this. Not a single mention. So here's where I think uh, I think OG gets dinged by this specifying perimeter defender because mm. I think if if the question were phrased, say who is the most versatile defender oh, I, in that the was NBA, one of the questions and it OG actually was. was? That. Yeah, that wasn't he wasn't one of those either. Well, that's mm. that it was, was all wild, switchable man. bigs. It was all like you know. No, OG did, OG did not show up on any of the answers yeah, about defensive players. That's wild yeah. to me. Like yeah. he he finally made all defensive second team last year, and the only thing that kept him out of actual depoy conversation was i mean one uh you know the the playing time component but they always look past that for other guys so i don't really you know right. we're, we're not far removed from matisse Tybel getting all defense while mm. people are like og didn't play enough and og played like hundreds more minutes than matisse Tybel. um anyway this is it's bizarre to me that he wouldn't show up on either of them he is you you ask guys around the nba when visiting teams come through or whatever who do you not like going up against and you know Avery Bradley used to get named a bunch, even though he wasn't a good defender. So right. uh, it, that's not everything. But like, yeah, guys, guys don't want to go up against OG Ananobi. And I, I actually think to our first segment conversation about what the defense could look like and, and leaning more on your individual guys, maybe that helps OG's defensive reputation even more because I, like all defensive team was overdue and him not showing up on either of those defensive skill lists is wild to me. Yeah. Jason Tatum on this list. Yeah, what does Tatum do? I mean, I don't think Tatum's a good defender, but like, not like this. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah. Uh, last one for you guys. What was the most underrated player acquisition of the season? Marcus Smart to Memphis was number one at 17%. Okay. Surprised to see my guy, Grant Williams, who I'm uh, still not sure how his head is put together after Joel Embiid just stepped on him in the playoffs, <laughs> but he's off to Dallas, apparently going to be a difference maker in the West. Yeah. Uh, 14%. Wasn't Dylan enough Brooks. of a difference to be Real Madrid, by the way. <laughs> what? Hala Madrid, because they actually beat oh, Dallas in preseason. Did they, lose? Did they yeah. lose to yeah. Real? Well, Luca only played five minutes because he's got like a calf injury or something. But it's got to oh, be man. hilarious for Luca to be like, oh, I just came from overseas to come here. That was my old club. I won EuroLeague with them when I was a teenager, and now I'm losing to them. Like, come on. That's well, jokes. wasn't that? That was Anthony Parker's history with the Raptors. He came over and beat the Raptors. Yeah. As I think he was on uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv. Yeah. And, and he Frank beat the Raptors. And like, then they the next yeah. year they had a rematch, oh, but Anthony man. Parker was on the Raptors at that point. Colangelo man. was like, we yes. need that. So Marcus, will, Marcus Smart, Grant Williams, Dylan Brooks, Bruce Brown, Yusuf Nurkic. I know we got to wrap soon, but who quickly, who, who was your most underrated player acquisition of the summer? Uh, Blake Murphy. Oh, hey, yo, that's crazy. Close. Blake Murphy I joining even, the show. Full I, didn't even, time. I didn't even get to ask yeah, you guys. He, was, he wasn't even on also receiving votes. Blake Murphy, comma, at the Raptors show. Ah, I'm so mad we're out of time today. For people that don't know, we're doing like a studio rehearsal and we got to get out of here. I wanted to ask you guys what your scariest movie you've ever seen was. Because <laughs> a new Exorcist movie hit the theaters last week. Oh, is this an Exorcist movie promo? Is that what's happening? We'll talk Exorcist on the on the next show. Yeah. yeah. Well, appreciate anyway. you guys. I appreciate both of you guys. Blake, nothing, nothing. You're just yeah. you're just smiling. You're just well, cheesing because you're named the, the most music, underrated acquisition. The music hit, Me and how? I don't I don't quite have the cadence figured out yet of when you when you got to get your last couple sentences in that Me Alex how? writes for you. I now learned. Here's the thing. You, 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 Derek, Derek is not running the show. All right, we run the show. We can talk as long as we want. 
as much as he's begging to say 30 seconds. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we actually are going to wrap. So thanks everyone for listening. Um, you know, that's been all that we have today. I've been your host, Will Lou, and you've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure to find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe, and please interview the show. Thanks once again to my co-hosts, Alex Wong and Blake Murphy. Thanks to everybody up in the booth. And uh, we'll actually be live on air next week, starting Monday.